We come to him in faith, knowing that he is the God of salvation and the God of eternal life. And we place ourselves in his hands, trusting that he is able to do all for us that is within his will and within his plans, and knowing that we are utterly secure in him. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, what you just said reminds me of just a little bit of a conversation I was having the other day with someone who says, I know that when I pray and I'm called to pray in faith, that God can do anything he wants to do. He can answer that prayer should he choose to. But when I'm not sure how he may answer that prayer, or even if he would want to answer that prayer, how do I pray in faith then? Well, I think that little word faith is so important within that conversation and that questioning. And as we think about these things, what does it mean to pray in faith? Well, partly that means praying with an understanding that God is God, Hmm. that he's sovereign and he is wise. And so when we pray in faith, we come to him and say, I'm the creature, you are the creator. I am not wise, but you are wise. And I believe that you are not only capable of doing anything you choose to do, but you are wise in choosing the right thing to do. And so I bring this whole matter to you in a complete spirit of faith. And sometimes, you know, I think this this passage in James, we can, we can have a partial understanding of faith when we bring things to the Lord in prayer and we say, well, I believe that you're powerful, so now I, I need you to do what I ask you to do. But actually faith says, I believe that you're powerful and wise, so I bring this whole matter and lay it before you for you to do what's right. And I trust you. What a great way to begin our time together, looking at that truth. So let's keep going. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20 is where we are today as we continue our message, Praying in Faith. Here is Jonathan. There are two sides to genuine faith in God as God. On the one hand, faith tells us that God is the all-powerful one the creator and the sustainer of all things. And genuine faith will come to God believing that he can do all things. It will come to him in the situation of illness saying, I believe that you are able to bring healing. I believe you can do that. I believe that you are able to perform a miracle here. It's within your power. I have faith that you are indeed God Almighty, omnipotent, unconstrained by any kind of limitation of your power, the one who spoke the universe into being and who knits each person together in the womb. And in this sense, as we consider that aspect of faith, in this sense, much of our prayer, if we're going to be entirely honest about it, is not the prayer of faith. That's the reality. Much of our praying is not especially faith-filled. We know that praying is the right thing to do, especially in times of need, times of distress, and so we pray, but we pray so often assuming that there will be little to no response, no answer, no change. But you know, it is essentially faithless praying when we do that. We pray with very little confidence that God might answer our prayer, might intervene, might do something extraordinary. We, we pray out of a sense of duty, but assuming that it will be functionally ineffective, even if we wouldn't quite put it like that. But that's the reality. And so the prayer of faith is the prayer that starts from the place of knowing and believing that God is God and that nothing is beyond his power, nothing beyond his capacity. 
It is the prayer that starts from the place of knowing and believing that the thing requested, the thing that is sought in prayer, is entirely within the power and capability of the God to whom we come. I would ask you to heal, Lord, and I know that you're more than able. That's one key aspect of faith, knowing that God is all-powerful. But the other key aspect of faith, and we cannot afford to overlook this or forget it, the other key aspect of Faith is knowing and believing that God is sovereign, that he rules the universe, that he truly is in charge. You see, faith must never be presumptuous. Faith that recognizes God as God never comes to God and tells him what it is he must do. James has been very clear on this earlier in the letter. He set the tone previously. You may remember that back in chapter 4, James taught us to speak carefully about the future, not to pretend or presume that we know what God's will is for us. Rather than boast about our plans, which are so uncertain, we ought to say chapter 4 and verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's a basic feature of faith that we recognize that we're the creatures and God is God. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He will determine the course of events. We cannot presume to know how he will do so. We cannot see the future. The future belongs to him. It's all down to him. It is his prerogative. And because of that, the prayer of faith is always a prayer that is given in trusting submission to the will of God. If it is your will, if it would please you, heal so and so. Bring relief, bring wholeness. I believe that you can do it, that your will be done. That's the prayer of faith. And remembering that, recognizing that, helps us to make sense actually of a number of places in the New Testament where we are encouraged to pray very, very big prayers and to do so in faith. We could look at quite a number actually, and we won't take time on that. But I, I, I think of, for example, John 16 and verse 23 where Jesus says to his disciples, you may remember this, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We can ask anything in Jesus' name and expect to receive it. Well, to ask in his name is another way of saying to ask in faith. That is to ask in full recognition of who he is, to ask under the banner of his name, his authority, to ask in submission to his sovereign will. Again, I, th I think of Mark 11 and verse 22 where Jesus says, have faith in God. Notice that, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, is Jesus saying there that we are going to receive whatever it is we arbitrarily ask God for? Whatever we decide it is we want. Well, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not saying that. He's saying that we should come to God in faith, believing that he is able to do extraordinary things that are in line with his will and who he is, what he desires to do. Things that we could not even imagine were possible in human terms. The prayer of faith never presumes to tell God what he must do but it believes that God can do all things. It always prays in line with the Lord's prayer as Jesus taught us, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's the prayer of faith. 
and we need to learn to pray it, to come to God in times of illness and to actually ask for healing, believing that God can actually heal. He can do things that the doctor will tell you he or she has never seen before, cannot explain. Some here have lived that very experience and have stories to tell. But not coming to God in a spirit of demand, presuming to tell him what he must do in this circumstance. No, the prayer of faith always allows God to be God. And it says in each and every circumstance, your will be done. Quite a number among us are facing illness at the present time. Some are facing serious illness at the present time. Let me ask the question, basic, essential, perhaps even obvious as it is, have you come to the Lord in prayer? Have you brought the situation to him? Have you come in the prayer of faith, asking for healing, if it be his will, believing that he does in fact have power to heal because he's our creator? If you're facing serious illness at the present time and you'd actually like some of the elders of the church to pray with you, to pray over you, why not ask? Why not invite that? As the word of God encourages us. James tells us that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Commentators note here the fact that the word save is the same word the New Testament will use to speak of our eternal salvation. And the word raise is a word that can be used to speak of the resurrection. And although James is talking about physical healing in this passage, we can't just explain that away. The reference here is primarily to physical healing. This choice of language, I think it just reminds us that the Lord's bigger commitment and the Lord's bigger priority is our salvation. And his underlying promise for the body is the resurrection of the body on a day yet to come. That's where all this is going. And so we come to him in faith, knowing that he is the God of salvation and the God of eternal life. And we place ourselves in his hands, trusting that he is able to do all for us that is within his will and within his plans, and knowing that we are utterly secure in him. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and our message, Praying in Faith, from the book of James, chapter 5. Now, we're pausing right here for just a moment because I want you to know if you ever miss a broadcast in our series, you can always come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. It's free. Just go to your favorite app store and search for Encounter the Truth, and that's a great way to listen to Jonathan's teaching on the go. Well, if you joined us late, we're in James chapter 5. Let's get back to the message, Praying in Faith. Here is Jonathan. We must learn to pray in every season, in every situation of life, in suffering and in cheer, in sickness, and next in seasons of sin as well. Middle of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, we might wonder at this point why it is that James introduces the notion of sin right off the back of speaking of illness. That seems like quite a change of topic for us. But there is a logic here, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to handle it very, very carefully as well. James is pointing us to the fact that sin can be linked to illness. That is, the Lord is able to use illness as a means to highlight our sin and to bring us to a place of true repentance. 
We know that clearly because the Bible tells us so elsewhere beyond this passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the church that some are ill and some even have died because of sin. King David spoke of experiencing a physical burden and weakness because of his sin. Psalm 32 and verse 3, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The Lord can have his hand upon us in heaviness. He can allow illness into our experience and he can do so in order to bring us to repentance. That's just what happened with David. At the same time, at the same time, the Bible is really clear that not all illness is linked to specific sin. Not all illness is a personal call to repent of something in particular in our lives. We mustn't assume a kind of fixed link of that kind. That was the great mistake, you may remember, of Job's so-called friends in the middle of his distress. But at the same time, illness can be linked to sin. And so for that reason, there is wisdom Whenever we're ill, and this is just a good principle of discipleship, I think, there is wisdom whenever we're ill to, to stand back and just to ask the question, would the Lord use this season of illness, this time of being laid low, would he use it to expose any sin in my life, to wake me up, to bring me to my senses, to call me to repent? A lot of the time, illness is just illness, but it's never a bad question for us to ask. And of course, where there is sin, where we discover sin in our lives, forgiveness is readily available through the shed blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We need only come to him and ask for forgiveness, and he's ready to forgive. In this context, though, where there appears to be illness linked to sin, James encourages the believers to confess their sins to one another, verse 16, and pray for one another. And we can see why he might be making that particular suggestion here, the suggestion that they confess their sins one to another. We've seen some strong indications in the letter of the believers sinning against one another in some clear-cut and pretty visible ways earlier in the letter. There are clearly some pretty significant relational problems within the fellowship. Back at the beginning of chapter 2, we learned of a situation which may not have been purely hypothetical, I think, where a rich man comes into the fellowship and is treated very, very nicely, given a seat of honor and so on, and a poor man comes in and is dishonored. And so there is a sinful partiality within the fellowship. In chapter 3, James warns the people against cursing brothers and sisters with their tongue. In chapter 4 and verse 1, James asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. There are clearly relational issues going on within this fellowship. The believers are guilty of sin one against another. It seems that as the Lord has laid his hand upon some of them physically to bring them to repentance over these things. Illness here seems to be tied to sin. And James tells them, go and deal with your sin. Deal with it. Go to the brother or sister. Go to those you've sinned against. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness and then pray for one another that the Lord might heal and the Lord might restore. 
I think we need to be just a little careful with verse 16 that we don't generalize the principle excessively and then make some kind of rule out of it that lands us near the concept of the confessional booth. You know, where we, we, we need to go to the priest or the pastor or the elder or even another believer for any and every sin in order for it to be fully dealt with before the Lord. Sometimes it can be read that way. Uh, you know, if we, if we don't confess any and every sin to other Christians, we're not in a place of health, we're, we're not being authentic or something. But we need to remember some basic gospel theology here, okay? Jesus is our great high priest. We go to him first and foremost, and he is able to deal with our sin. He's more than able. The situation pictured here is a little more specific. Illness is tied to sin, and sin is evidently impacting relationships within the fellowship in a significant way. It's a pretty good rule of thumb that confession of sin to others should generally extend to those impacted by the sin and not widely beyond that. But where there are relational issues, where we've sinned against one another in specific ways, where there is a weight within the fellowship, whether or not the Lord has used illness to highlight it, we need to go to one another and we need to make things right for things to be dealt with. And I, I might tentatively add here, this is more at the level of suggestion, but I think there's wisdom in it. I might tentatively add that if we're in the grip of some kind of sin and need the help of discerning and mature Christian friends to pray us through it and walk us through it and perhaps provide some accountability and that kind of thing, that can be of tremendous value as well. And so in the case of relational sin, in the case of sin where we need the help of others, we go and confess. We go and seek prayer. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the privilege of then praying for one another. It's actually quite a hard privilege to walk with a brother or sister who has sinned and then comes to us. We need to be careful in that situation. As Paul warns elsewhere, that we don't get dragged down into their sin. But James speaks of the privilege and the value of doing this, of being involved in helping a brother or sister address sin, repent of sin. This is actually how James finishes the letter in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a privileged thing to do. A valuable thing to do. There will be those seasons where we're grappling with our own sin and because it's impacted other people or because we are needing help in untangling ourselves, we go to a brother or sister and we confess our sin. We ask for their forgiveness, if relevant. We ask for their prayer. And, and sometimes you and I will be in the privileged position of praying for another in such a time. James has been calling us to prayer. He's been teaching us to make prayer our first instinct and our first response in every season, every situation, not our final resort, our last resort, our final afterthought, as it so often can be. And he, and he wants us to know, he wants us to believe that prayer really does something. He wants us to know that prayer is actually effective. It really achieves something. After all, you and I, we're only going to invest ourselves in prayer, give ourselves to prayer, if we believe that it has power, if we believe that it works. And to convince us of prayer's power, James points us to the example of the prophet Elijah. 
middle of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person, says James, has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The incident James refers to here is first recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. The Lord brings a drought on the land of Israel to punish the nation and her king Ahab, especially for their idolatry. Elijah declares the start of the drought and then later prays for its completion. Three and a half years later, the story is well known in Jewish tradition. Familiarity with it probably explains why James referred to it here. But the simple point that James wants to make is that the prayers of a righteous person, that is the prayers of a person who belongs to the Lord, who is in right relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, those prayers are powerful things. Elijah, he, he was special in a sense because he was a prophet, but he was also a man of like nature to ours. He was a normal human being, and that's the emphasis that James is making. And his story, the story of the power of his prayers, it illustrates the fact that God works in and through the prayers of ordinary human beings, human beings like you and human beings like me. James has a very simple agenda, one agenda item as he closes his letter. He wants us to pray. So much of James's letter has been bound up with the question of what genuine faith looks like in practice, and he closes with perhaps the most telling indication of whether or not we have true faith, genuine faith. It is our instinct to pray. It is our commitment to prayer. It's been said before that the quickest way to embarrass a Christian person is to ask him or her about their prayer life. And many of us would be embarrassed to admit how slow we are to pray. Prayerlessness is a kind of practical atheism, as we all know. And on the flip side, prayerfulness is a sign of authentic faith. And so James urges us in every season, whether facing suffering or feeling cheerful, whether in sickness or in sin, Pray. Get others to pray for you and with you. I mentioned that lovely simple hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus at the Beginning. And let me close by reminding us of the, the, the words that are so helpful, I think, to take with us as we go. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. I don't know what season you're in. Suffering 
or cheer, sickness, sin. I don't know which of those categories applies to your life today, but I do know it is a season for you and a season for me to pray, to take it to the Lord in prayer and in Him to find your never-failing solace, your ever-present help. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and a message called Praying in Faith. It's from our series of the book of James called Doers of the Word. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, come and listen online. Our website address is encounterthetruth.org. That's a great way to stay connected to this ministry, to go back and listen to broadcasts you may have missed, or to check out our weekly e-devotional. You can come to the website, EncounterTheTruth.org, and every week you'll read a devotional written by Jonathan and the team. We'd love to connect you to that. And if listening to this program is encouraging you and helping you grow in your walk with Christ, I hope you'll let us know that as well. You can give us your feedback through our website, EncounterTheTruth.org, or you can always call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. Well, thanks for listening today. For Jonathan and our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll join us next time for Encounter the Truth.